Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Unqualified Analysis. Uh, I am your host, Caleb Verzak. Today, it is 9.30. This is the latest I have ever recorded, I'm pretty sure. And uh, yeah, a little bit tired. Gonna be burning the midnight oil on this one a little bit. So, gonna be a little bit lower volume than general. Not quite as much yelling because I have neighbors and I don't want a confrontation on this night. So, what we got on the docket today... Calvin Ridley fails the idiot test. Yeah, big old dum-dum there. Uh, Aaron Rodgers deciding to stay put. Russell Wilson immediately stealing his spotlight directly after that. And the all-Al Davis team coming out of the combine, a.k.a. who are the absolute athletic freak beasts coming into this draft. But before we get into the news, let's stop down very briefly because this is an absolutely packed episode talk about what's popping in the neighborhood here um first and foremost really the biggest happening of the past week my dumb ass learned what math was now let me explain um back when i signed my lease at the place i'm currently living back in last february i signed a 15 month lease for uh whatever the whatever the term is here and uh yeah so i figured i would be good until i don't know like like august or something Now, if you're doing the math at home, you know that I got uh, completely off on that. Uh, Take three months off that I did 18 instead of 15. So yeah, what I've been planning on August in August move out, uh, in reality, I've got until uh, the beginning of May. So about in a month and a half, I'm going to be moving back in with my parents, which is always always fun but uh hey at least i'll uh, have zero overhead get to build up some money then eventually move my way down to uh nashville right not the worst thing in the world of all things but uh you know progress is never linear at the end of the day i mean it might suck to move back in with my parents i mean might it's it's probably going to suck to a certain extent because literally no one wants to move back in with their parents but hey Take it, take it as it comes. I mean, there, there's worse places to be in than in a nice house with paying zero rent and making okay enough money. Well, you know, okay enough, I guess. But anyways, that's just uh, all that there is to it there. In less serious news, uh, I woke up on Sunday and just kind of realized uh, I hadn't had a day off and I don't really know exactly when the last time was. So uh, yeah, yesterday just decided to... Uh, take a me day. I was going to type up the document for this. Uh, Honestly, kind of glad I didn't because of all the shit that popped off on Tuesday. But uh, yeah, instead of doing that, I just kind of, you know, became one with my couch and melded into, uh, melted into some video games here. I mean, I got kind of fucked up on the uh, the wording there watching a little bit of this uh, St. Mary's and Gonzaga game. Um, I'll say what my dad always says, Gonzaga is just a bunch of pot smoking hippies, which, you know, as a kid, I just kind of laugh now. It makes me admire them even more, but you know, you look at the roster, it's a bunch of long haired white guys and you know, they get a couple, a couple of real good players. Like, you know, Chet Holmgren is just like, you know, a giant fucking spider out there on the court, basically just like, like another, uh, another poor Zingas who we'll talk about a little bit later, at least I think anyways, uh. I don't know. My, my mind is all over the place. I, I'm working like a dog. Last week, I, uh, yeah, like I, like I alluded to in last week's episode, 
I worked just about as much and made about the same amount as money of money as the previous week. So yeah, I am on an energy deficit at, you know, this is the first time I'm recording one of these episodes after I have walked my dog for the night, which is to say we're <laughs> we are burning the midnight oil like I've like I've already said here, but uh yeah, I mean, that's just, you know, another another day in the life of a delivery boy. I've completely derailed here. But yeah, I took yesterday to myself, played some Dying Light, had myself a good time. Uh, didn't really do a whole lot of work. So uh, yeah, today um, I'm recording so late because I got done with work at around, I don't know, 2.30, 3-ish. And I've been working on this thing ever since, essentially, because there was all sorts of shit popping off in the sports world, which is why I'm keeping this uh, real world update so, so light because, I mean, I am much more interested in sports right now than my actual daily life. Daily life is pretty boring. It's mostly just me driving around, making enough money to make ends meet, and then, you know, coming home, playing some video games, thinking about some sports, you know, typing this thing up, the, the usual. I'm just kind of rambling on at this point. But I will say, just as a kind of aside on my, my work life, not going to go through the whole day-to-day like I have been in the uh, the previous episodes, but I will say just a just a quick kind of like driver thought as I was going through this week. To the cyclists who just insist on riding in the road no matter what, I feel like we've had a, a lot of cyclist content over the past two weeks between the meth heads riding bikes last week and the uh, the legit cyclists this week. I mean, why? Why? Just Why? Do you think you can ride as fast as a car? Because I have news for you. You can't. It's physically impossible. I know you really think that you can you can push the limits of, of human capabilities. I hope all these cyclists aren't delusional enough to think that they can ride as fast as cars because literally none of them can. But I just want to know why when there's a wide open sidewalk, when you can see someone coming from way, way off on that sidewalk, why are you just riding in the road? Like, maybe this is some etiquette thing that's going completely over my head, but, like, what? you are just holding up traffic, especially on, like, like two-lane roads where, you know, you can't really pass them. It's a double yellow. Um, really, it's just dangerous for everybody. You're just going, like, super, super slow. But there's a, there's a sidewalk over on the side could easily be riding over there not blocking traffic but instead you just say hey man i'm riding fast enough to be in the in the flow of traffic here sure i'm going 20 and a 40 but like i mean i'm going with the flow of traffic i could hit a pedestrian and really hurt them stop that shit just go on the sidewalk just fucking or at the very least go on the shoulder away from like where people are driving because you're really just holding up everyone else in traffic. That's not even really speaking as a delivery driver. That's just speaking as a human being, you know? Also, just, you know, I'm, I'm watching ESPN at the same time as I'm recording here. Gonzaga currently up 11 on St. Mary's. Looking like looking like this is going to be the game against St. Mary's where, I mean, they lost by 10 last time. They might be in for a, uh, a shellacking of St. Mary's this time around. But I just saw on the bottom line there something that just honestly just went out of my memory so i mean i'm gonna go gonna go straight ahead of it on it just blow right past it right to the podcast recommendations i am all over the all over the board today so for the recommendations only got one this week because like i said i mean there's a lot of 
a lot of shit happening. I procrastinated like a motherfucker on this, and, you know, pretty much all the shit hit the fan on Tuesday, and I had to just type up a bazillion pages before I recorded, and, you know, got to record in, in the middle of the night, can't exactly have all the energy that I would have during the day, necessarily, but, uh, yeah, all of that is to say I'm rambling on, got one podcast recommendation this week, it's not a sports podcast, it is actually a little bit uh, outside of the box from what we've even talked about thus far, it is called, oh, it's not called Burp. It's called Dr. Drew After Dark. You may have actually heard about this one. It's, uh, you know, as you may have guessed, it's with that Dr. Drew from Loveline, Teen Mom, and pretty much every reality show on MTV that needed a doctor that was, you know, willing to go on the air. So, yeah, I mean, you, you probably know him from at least some show. I mean, he he's one of the, the harder working guys in Hollywood. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is basically just like, if you want to learn medical stuff but don't want to go to medical school and uh, be bored and uh, pay a whole lot of money and, you know, eventually pay it off, but, you know, pay a whole lot of money to go to school, uh, yeah, you just just learn medical stuff from, from shows like this. It's basically just, like, he goes through listener questions as well as looking through uh, the dark corners of the internet for both uh, education and comedy. You know, so it's like, you know, you get some meth head videos, you get some listener questions about cum being stored in the balls, um, you know, you get some, uh, you learn about wonderful things like uh, Fournier's gangrene, aka Evan Fournier's gangrene. <laughs> I, I don't think you should call him that to his face. Also, probably shouldn't look up what Fournier's gangrene is when you're at work. Maybe at home, still wouldn't recommend it. It's a pretty gruesome sight, not really going to get into it at this point. But that, you know, pubococcygeous muscle spasms, you learn about all sorts of fun stuff that recurs over time on this show where, you know, it legitimately is. I mean, it's it's absolutely goofy, hilarious fun, but you learn stuff along the way. So, I mean, it's a little bit gross, not going to lie. I mean, just just gauging by the Fournier's gangrene, like I just mentioned, which is not not for the faint of heart. It's going to be something that's not exactly for everybody, but if you got a strong stomach and a good sense of humor and a will to learn, this is probably a good podcast for you. Uh, I didn't really know anything about medical stuff beforehand, and you know, I, I know just enough to make people think that I have some sort of medical background, when in fact, I made a point after, I think it was... Yeah, sophomore year of high school when I needed 100% of my last four assignments just to get a 61% in my uh, chemistry class, which I did, by the way, one of my crowning academic achievements. Uh, yeah, after that, I just kind of took the uh, the mentality with the sciences that this probably isn't my bailiwick. I am going to take as few of these as possible because, you know, Knowing what you don't want to do is just as important as knowing what you do want to do. And I figured that out early. So yeah, basically didn't take a single science class, I think like back half of my, my high school career, only took the minimum science classes in my college career. But I know enough from this Dr. Drew after dark feller to actually discuss some medicine with people, you know, up to a certain extent. I can't really talk about, you know, medicines and, you know actual 
anatomy and shit like that, but I know just enough to enamor the, uh, the, the, the common person out there. Fucking easy for me to say. Anyways, now that we have gotten through the, uh, the boring life portion of this podcast, let's get into the actual headlines because holy hell has it been an absolutely jacked up, ridiculous, really just the last two days, Monday and Tuesday of just the week that you're listening to this, well, the the week that this is coming out anyways, who knows when you're actually listening to this, but I mean, it's really just like with the franchise DAG deadline coming up at, uh, I think it was, I don't know if it was 4 p.m. or if it was 12, you know, midnight or something like that. Either way, coming up on the franchise tag deadline at uh, Tuesday, the night that I'm recording this, whole lot of action happened just specifically on today. I mean, really all hell broke loose today. But even yesterday, I mean, I got the majority of my uh, my stories and talking points for the day, really just from the past two days, with the exception of the, uh, the combine stuff that I, I talked about a little bit earlier. We'll get into a little bit later. That's, uh, that's just some fun athletic gawking we'll get into. But, I mean, the actual bulk of the news just occurred over the last couple of days. So let's, uh, let's just crack into it right now, starting with the story that kind of just rocked the, the whole NFL initially on Monday. Got the week kicked off. Calvin Ridley suspended for at least the 2022 season. Uh, maybe longer. It's an indefinite suspension, so the NFL just kind of holds sway over really however long they want to keep him suspended for. Um, on on Twitter, Ridley responded by saying, I gambled 1500 I do not have a gambling problem, which uh, I would respond with by saying, yeah, that wasn't the, uh, wasn't the point of the whole suspension, buddy. The gambling problem isn't the thing. It's the fact that you... Uh, you are a player in the NFL, and not only did you gamble on games in the NFL, you gambled on the team that you're on. And I know that you weren't with the team at the time. This was apparently during um, November of this past season when he was already away from the team dealing with mental health issues. But at the same time, like, listen, you may not have quote-unquote inside information from being around the team on a day-to-day basis like that particular week. But just by the fact that Ridley spent an entire camp with the team, spent a few games with the team, I think like at least an entire month of the season, I believe, with the team. Um, I mean, just by nature of being in that position and being a player, you are you have inside information that, you know, the regular person just does not have access to. So it's not it's not the point that you have a gambling problem that you're gambling on these games. The point is that when you're a player, you cannot mix gambling with being a player. I mean, there's just an inherent conflict of interest there that even when you're not on the sidelines, you're just privy to information just by just by the virtue of your position that will, you know, alter alter the integrity of, of gambling, if you, which I mean, it, it's gambling at the end of the day, but the, the more it's corporatized, interestingly enough, the more uh, moral, I guess it is going away from, you know, the, the mob roots and all that stuff. But the thing is on top of all of this stuff, just the, the whole spiel on why you shouldn't be gambling on the sport that you're in. Um, just putting all of that aside. I mean, the guy gambled on, a legal app under his own name like 
if you're if you're going to place bets, which you shouldn't in the first place if you're playing, but if you're going to be a player and place bets on your team, specifically the Atlanta Falcons, uh, maybe get a guy to do it for you. Maybe get a guy that places your bets. I know, theoretically, whenever I have taken trips to Florida in the past, and, you know, right now, because I guess, you know, Ridley was in Florida at the time. There was a small window where you could download an app where it was legal for a small window of time. It's it's not legal anymore. But whenever you go down there, you can theoretically have a guy back in the legal gambling state or in a legally legal gambling state. I know a guy like Calvin Ridley probably has a few guys like that. You can give them your picks, give them some money to place said picks, and if those picks win, you can you know, collect money on those picks without it ever being connected to your name, and then you wouldn't be in this situation in the first place, Calvin Ridley. And I would assume there are other players in the league that have done that in the past. Probably don't want to dig too deep on that to get into the uh, the moral implications of all of that. But that being said, this is not a you have a gambling addiction problem. This is a are you fucking stupid problem? <laughs> like, this is a serious, like, I mentioned it in the intro, but this is a stupid test. Like, you went into you went into an app that has a fiduciary responsibility to report when there's a conflict of interest, which, you know, an involved party, say, you know, a player that's sitting out right now, but is on it is in the NFL, is betting on games. I mean, that's going to be flagged. That's going to be sent up the flagpole to the league. I mean, this was something that the books knew about before the team did. And speaking of which, this investigation didn't even start with Calvin Ridley. It started with different members within the organization. So this seems like something that the organization is going to have to nip in the bud. Um, You're not supposed to be gambling on, on games when you have that sort of inside information. I mean, it's the same sort of... It's the same sort of... um logic behind like you know securities traders not being allowed to uh use their 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 uh, knowledge on like Robinhood or something like that they have to have like an affiliated account brokerage account with the uh with the place that employs them like you know like J- if you're working for JP Morgan you got to have accounts to them and stuff like that and it, it keeps you honest lets them kind of monitor to make sure that you're not uh, doing anything wrong per se. I mean, it's something, it's kind of like that, except for even to a greater extent because Calvin Ridley has actual sway on what happens in the game. Maybe not the specific game that he bet on, but in general, I mean, he knows the guys in the locker room. He knows how that team works together. He has a general idea better than most people of how a team, how his team is going to perform on a weekly basis last year. And uh, hey, at the very least, he bet on the Falcons. Would have been hilarious if he he bet on the other team against the Falcons. But uh, yeah, this is one of those situations where I hope Calvin Ridley comes back from this. But uh, I mean, for better or for worse, whether it's fair or not, I am personally behind, you know, all the mental health struggles. I've had my own mental health struggles personally. um, So I understand him there. But, you know, the NFL is not a woke league. It's, you know, it's a it's a boys club that is slow to change. And I'm just looking at it from an old stodgy GM's perspective. Calvin Ridley is a great player, 
but he sat out most of a season for mental health issues and then just got popped for gambling. So it's from a stodgy old GM's perspective, it's it's un, you can understand where they would be asking, um, is Calvin Ridley really committed to football? Which is to say, I mean, Falcons are probably gonna get Calvin Ridley at a pretty good, pretty good bargain this offseason. I'll tell you what, I don't know who this kid from Bryant is, but he is he is a white boy, he's dunking on people, uh, he's causing fights in the stands. I mean, something you just you just gotta love. You just gotta just gotta love watching. I mean, there's there's shirtless college kids. White boys are getting elbowed in the face. There's just a sea of sea of white kids everywhere. Bryant is beating the dog piss out of Wagner. I don't know what's happening, but I mean, it's it's fucking March, baby. We just watched uh, what is it? Northern Kentucky versus Wright State. Absolute bonkers ending there. <laughs> What a what a what a disrespectful ending there. But any anyways, I I digress. Getting back to it, Calvin Ridley. Uh, hope he ends up doing better. I've heard he's actually a uh, a good guy. But uh, yeah, he's gonna have a long long time to sit on his mistakes in this one. All right, moving on to the news you've really been waiting for, the one that shocked the world after Aaron Rodgers made his announcement that no one really cared about later. The Seahawks have traded Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos. The compensation is as follows. Russell Wilson and a fourth-round pick go to the Broncos, and the Seahawks receive two firsts, two seconds, a fifth-round pick, Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, and Noah Fant. Ah, this is just an absolute blockbuster of a trade. It's hard to underestimate, hard to understate just how much of a seismic shift this is in the landscape and the power balance of the league right now. Uh, Wilson reportedly chose the Broncos, which makes a whole lot of sense considering, you know, he has a no trade clause. So pretty much anywhere he would be traded to, he has the final say on whether he goes there or not. But uh, really, just from a Seahawks perspective, just stopping off there because we're not going to talk about him again pretty much in this discussion. But uh Drew Locke, I mean, he's kind of a throw-in in this. I mean, I don't think the Broncos really knew what they were going to do with him because I think they knew what they had in him, which was not a great QB. Also a holdover from the previous head coach. So, uh, well, really not even the previous head coach, the, the head coach before him even. So, yeah, I mean, not not a guy that, that they really wanted on the roster, just kind of a guy that was, you know, made the deal work essentially. Um, Shelby Harris, though. A, a guy that you can plug and play in the middle immediately, a locker room guy that's, you know, apparently a great influence in there, an intermediate starter that shores up the middle of the defense, which is a little bit of a uh, weakness towards the end of last year. But Noah Fant, man, on that offense, I mean, I don't know who's going to be QB. I'm guessing it's going to be Drew Locke or maybe they draft someone at this point. But no matter who's there, Noah Fant, that is a guy that you can build around at tight end. That is a hell of a get. Initially, he wasn't reported as part of the initial package, but seeing him get popped in there later, I mean, that was, I mean, no one, I know the Broncos did not want to part with Noah Fant. He's a guy that they just drafted to, um, a guy that, you know, helps out a, helps out a young QB. I mean, 
it you know it hurts a little bit less knowing that uh, Russell Wilson for whatever reason just never throws to tight ends. So I mean you know you can part with Noah Fant knowing that knowledge, but uh, I mean getting him on the Seahawks, you already got a I think Logan Wilson still in place there or Luke Wilson. One of those Wilson, just a Wilson with two L's either way. But you got him in combination with a dynamic athlete like Fant, um, Chris Carson back there in the backfield. Um, You know, got DK and Tyler Lockett on the outside. I mean, you still got some great pieces in place there. You got to really overhaul some shit on the defense. But, I mean, you immediately plug and play Shelby Harris in the middle there. That only shore up the... uh, that only shore up the the run defense, which you already you still got Bobby Wagner there. So I mean, just a just a, a few holes to fill. But now you can at least focus on shoring up the secondary in the draft and all that stuff. Maybe at least you know getting a respectable team probably won't make the playoffs next year with that QB situation, but uh, at least gonna make a respectable push. But getting the Seahawks out of the way. I mean, they, we, we we know what the Seahawks are. Now that they don't have Russell Wilson, don't need to spend a whole lot of brain power on them. This is, I said it before, I'll say it again, it's hard to underestimate just how much of a seismic shift this happened. This is, I mean, not only is he a top flight QB, arguably a top five guy, though I think he's been bumped out at this point over the past few seasons, but he's... Top flight QB being traded, which absolutely never happens. You can say, you can point to Stafford last year, but even he, I mean, when he was traded, there was an argument to be made that he wasn't even really considered a top 10 QB. I think he's barely considered a top 10 QB right this second. The only thing that's really saving him right now is that Super Bowl victory. But that's like, even then, I mean, you don't have any any examples of a big time QB like Russell Wilson being traded at the end of his prime like this. He's still got, I mean, maybe eight years left in him. I mean, he could be in Denver for a long, long time competing for Super Bowls. So, I mean, not only that, I mean, it's moving another QB from the NFC to the AFC after Brady just retired. I mean, it's going to the AFC West specifically, where now it's Mahomes, Herbert, Wilson, and Carr. Carr is the worst one of that group, and he's a legit franchise QB. I mean, the AFC is absolutely loaded from top to bottom. I mean, you just look at just look at the top five QBs in each conference right now. I mean, in the NFC, it's basically you'd think Rodgers at one, probably Dak at two. Stafford or Murray at three and four, respectively. You can kind of duke it out there, and probably Kirk Cousins at five. That's that's not even like home home field bias. I mean, just look at the competition around them. There's not a whole lot of guys in the NFC right now. Whereas in the AFC, you got Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, Wilson, and Herbert, and that's just that's just the top five right there. Also, I would like to mention that three of those top five are in the same division in Mahomes, Wilson, and Herbert. I mean, that AFC West is going to be an absolute dog fight next year. Dog fight, I say. But, I mean, looking at the NFC, the departure of Wilson, I mean, we just touched on it. I mean, think about it. Rodgers and Dak are really the only two bona fide elite QBs of that group. And Dak, he still has his moments where he does not look up to the task at all. 
Um, Murray still has some development to do, especially in the leadership category. Stafford is, I mean, he's a gunslinger. He is what he is. He's going to make some oh-my-God throws, but he's also going to make some oh-my-fucking-God throws. So, you know, you gotta you got to live with that at a certain extent. I mean, Kirk Cousins, I'm not even... Not even going to start there. It's just a, it, it's a whole mess. I think we're kind of stuck with him at this point. But anyways, anyways, just just focusing on the NFC though, those six and seven spots with the lack of a of good QBs in the NFC, going to be an absolute toss up. I mean, you might have some, you might have two, um, maybe not two. Uh, non-winning record teams, losing record teams, if you will. I mean, that's, you know, easy for me to say. Um, you might have one though, and it's not going to, you might have like one losing team and one nine and eight team at that six and seven spot because I mean, the, the cupboard, the cupboard is really bare in the NFC. I assume in the long run, it's going to end up equaling itself out. I mean, just based on the, the socialist construct that is the NFL, it's kind of designed for you know, pretty much every team is going to be good at some point unless you just have abject failure in, in management like the Browns have had over the years, um, Bengals have had for a while. I mean, the, the Jags just look at what they always do. I mean, really, hell, even the Giants are really just poorly managed, but they've been bailed out by two of the luckiest runs in, in league history over the past couple decades. So people mistake them for an actual winning team but uh yeah i'm not even not even sure exactly where i was going on that one uh next couple of years though it's gonna be not not great in the nfc great time to have a new head coach coming in figuring out a new offense like we're doing with the vikings but zooming back in on the broncos specifically they're in i think by far the best division in the nfl but with the weapons on offense and the pieces left over from the previous regime on that defensive side of the ball, I mean, I think this this move makes them a contender right now, immediately, overnight. I mean, just look at what they have in place. Going down the list on offense, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick. I honestly don't even need to say more than that. That's a that's a trio of wide receivers that I mean that rivals just about anyone in the league. I mean, even even the Vikings, we've got Jefferson and Thielen, but who's the third guy? I mean, Osborne? Uh, I don't know. I mean, that's a legit top three with Sutton, Judy, and Patrick. Patrick, towards the end of the season, was absolutely lighting everyone up, no matter who is playing quarterback. Jerry Judy has some of the most precise routes. I mean, coming out of the draft, he was probably the best route runner in his class and runs one of the, some of the most precise routes in the league, one of the hardest guys to cover. Cortland Sutton is just an athletic specimen animal can you know it's hard for him to stay on the on the field but when he's on the field he is he just tears everything up and i mean you look at that unit you look at those weapons that is by definition you look up in the webster's dictionary what a qb away is and that is exactly what you see right here i mean that that receiving core it's an, it was an absolute travesty that they didn't have a a dynamic quarterback to get them all the ball because now that Russell Wilson is in place, that shit is going to get cracking. That's not even the fucking 
That's not even to mention Javante Williams is back there, and he's about to get full control of that backfield. I mean, Melvin Gordon's probably an unrestricted free agent. We'll have to see who they end up drafting because I can't imagine they're just going to stick with what they have back there. I would imagine probably a later round draft pick they would get a guy in there to kind of, you know, get, uh, you know, third rounds and rest reps for uh, Javante Williams in there. But Javante Williams had an absolutely monster year last year. I would imagine, you know, He's still in that golden age for a running back where he can still just run the sh- you can just run the shit out of him where I would I would expect the the Broncos to do just that to a, a large extent. But if you you have that that run game to complement the passing uh, weapons that the the ugh, the the passing weapons that the Broncos have, uh, I mean it's hard to see them stopping or being stopped by anyone next year. I mean especially when you put. I mean, they were an average offense last year. I mean, really, they were a terrible offense last year with no QB. You put Russell Wilson in there, they're a top 10 unit right away. And you look at the defensive side of the ball, Bradley Chubb, I mean, he's still there. <laughs> he, you forget about him all the time just being in that, that mountain time. But, I mean, he's still an absolute stud in there. Kind of was injured a little bit last year, but uh, anchors the defense in that front seven. And you got Patrick Sertain on the outside, who is a bona fide shutdown corner. Absolute <clears throat> monster on the outside. Got the lineage, um, got the got the talent, got the athleticism. Um, really just a guy already in coming into his second year, probably that you can just lean on, just block off a side of the field for him already. And plus, you got Justin Simmons on the back end, who's one of the best safeties in the league who can cover up um, any rookie mistakes that Sertan might make. Also, any, you know, mistakes that the rest of the the secondary might make because, I mean, it is Sertan and a bunch of guys that I don't exactly know. But with all that stuff in place, they can still easily be a top 10 unit right now if they just fill up some holes. I mean, if they shore up the middle, they are right there. So, I mean, think about it. You put all those factors together. I would already say Denver is vying I mean, they're right there as far as best team in the division right now. I mean, just going down the list, Raiders and Chargers both have deep-rooted personnel issues on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, they can't cover nobody. They can't stop a nosebleed on defense. They gotta, they got to fix a whole lot of shit, both of those teams, that Denver simply doesn't have to. Uh, the only team that really compares to them is the Chiefs, and I would say... They've got a better roster. I mean, the the Broncos have a better roster than the Chiefs right now outside of that quarterback position. I mean, you go on the list, I think Denver's receivers are better. I think their backfield is better. I think their defense from top to bottom is better. It's just when you've got that guy at quarterback in Mahomes, (laughs) and you've got, you know, Kelsey and Hill to throw to, I still think that combo alone is probably enough to get you over the top. But that being said, I mean, they are going to be in a neck-and-neck race, I think, this year. Really, probably with the Chargers as well as the the Broncos. I mean, just the fact that, I mean, poor Raiders, man. The fact that they're in this division, they would probably, they'd be vying for winning most other divisions. But the fact that they're in the AFC West, they're probably going to be pulling up the rear here. And they're still probably going to end up having a winning record. Yeah, fairly fairly similar to what they got last year, if I had to guess. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I really can't under understate just how massive this deal is. Um, yeah, it's just one of, the, one of those things where you're 
we're probably not going to see anything like this for a, for a long, long time. There was just a large confluence of circumstances that led to Seattle doing this. Um, I would be interested to see like the full story of what happened there because I, I'm I'm honestly shocked that that Russell Wilson got traded here. He must have made absolutely certain that you know. He must have made absolutely clear that he did not want to be in town anymore. Otherwise, I don't know why you make this move. I mean, you if it's either Pete Carroll or Russell Wilson, I'm choosing Russell Wilson every day of every week. But, man, I mean, you got Pete Carroll there still. Maybe they'll, uh, maybe they'll rebuild. But, man, you just you traded away a Hall of Fame quarterback. Best quarterback in the franchise's history. Uh I mean, you got a great haul back, but holy hell, man, this is, I mean, Mina Kahn said it best. This is probably not going to work out for you guys in the long run. Congrats to the Broncos, though. This is a, this is a huge move for y'all. Looking forward to that, that stacked AFC. And oh, by the way, went down the list of those top five QBs. Didn't even, didn't even like mention Lamar Jackson, who is a former MVP entering the prime of his career. So that AFC from top to bottom. I mean, there's just going to be some guys that are left out when it's all said and done. You hate to see it. I don't know. I don't know who that white boy was for St. Mary's, but he just hit a, a sweet little hook shot underneath the basket. Just real white boy fundamentals. Actually, you know, I'll tell you what. There's a there's a whole lot of white boys on the, on, on the court. I mean, there's... I mean, hell, this is like a Wisconsin-Iowa game. I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six... Seven, eight. There are eight white boys on the court right now. And I mean, I, you can say you don't see color all you want. That's like, that's that's crazy, man. This is like in the middle of Indiana, like a like a like a church rec league right now. Except for they're all like really good at basketball. I mean, this is it's absolutely crazy. But anyways, uh, yeah, I think I've rambled on enough about the uh, the Denver Broncos. They're going to be an absolute wagon next year. Um, especially outside of the division. I think you're going to be hardened as hell by fighting against that, that AFC West all year. But, uh, I mean, maybe look for some growing pains too, considering it's a, you know, new quarterback, new head coach, uh, new regime, all that stuff. But they have the, they have the, the horsepower in place right now to make some noise immediately. And I would expect them to do just that. But moving on to the second, I mean, giant, I get not really a movement, but free agency decision, I guess you could call it, of the day. Aaron Rodgers announced that he will stay with the Packers. Uh, contract extension is expected, I mean, I don't know exactly when soon is, but sometime in the next foreseeable future. I don't know. Before before the season starts, they will have a, an extension probably. But either way... Uh, before Russell Wilson shocked the sports world, Aaron Rodgers uh, finally ended the speculation, uh, committed to the Packers. Initially, it was reported he had a uh, four-year, $200 million deal signed and in place, but that was categorically denied by Rodgers. Um, but yeah, that, that's not to say uh, an extension isn't coming. The two sides are negotiating, and uh, indications are that it's going to be a cap-friendly deal, uh, should be signed soon. Don't know when soon is. Knowing Aaron Rodgers, soon could be next week, could be next month, could be 
I don't know, like July or something. Who who even knows with Rodgers? Honestly, I don't want to say I'm 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 happy to see him with the Packers. It would be weird to see him with somebody else, though. Would have loved to see it. Being a Vikings fan, would have loved to see it, but uh, kind of it, it's it, it's good, I guess, that he's staying with the Packers. But uh, in conjunction with Devontae Adams getting that getting the tag and the backfield they got in place with, uh, I think they re-signed Jones to a big contract, and they've already got the uh, old Quadzilla in place, AJ Dillon. That combined with the offensive line they always seem to have there, um, I mean that's the, that's just an absolute team. I hate to see it. I hate to say it as a Vikings fan, but the Packers should be gunning for Super Bowls for at least the next two to three seasons. I think Devontae Adams. They'll probably they're going to try to extend them. They've already they've already tagged him. So I mean there is that they've got him already in the building no matter what. But they're going to try to extend him. Um, you know, you got Rodgers in place. You've got Aaron Jones signed to a long-term deal. A.J. Dillon's going to be on his rookie contract, I think, for at least another season. So, I mean, you got a solid option there. Um, obviously, you got to you got to <clears throat> re-sign some of your, your free agents, especially Devondre Campbell. you got to find a way to get him back. That's going to be a, uh, a contract that's going to hurt, though. They might not even be able to afford him because, I mean, hell. It, when you're looking at these cap stuff, you got to look at uh, marginal differences from last year, we, which that means, you know, what is the difference between last year's contract and next year's contract? And that's kind of, you know, not it's not rocket science. That's just kind of the, the effect that that player has on the cap. But um, last year, Devondre Campbell was coming in on I don't know if it was a veteran minimum necessarily, but he was making $2 million. And after making first team all pro, I'll tell you, he's not about to make $2 million. He's about to make significantly more than that. So, I mean, he's about to have a double digit marginal cap hit from what he had last year. I mean, probably mid teens, mid to high teens, uh, more than what he, he made last year. So, which is just, it's a massive amount of cap space you have to clear. In addition to having to re-sign, I think, well, no, Bakhtiari just signed the deal, but Devontae Adams has to sign long-term. Uh, I would assume they want to sign Lazard to a longer-term deal. Um, yeah, there, there's other other players in the defense that I would assume they want to get in there. Also, Robert Tunyon, unrestricted free agent coming off of a uh, ACL injury. When he was in the lineup, he opened up... He, he attacked the middle of the field and opened up the entire field in a way that, you know, made the offense run really smoothly while he was out there. I mean, it didn't run quite as great when he wasn't out there. So I think that's a guy, if you don't get Robert Tunyon back, you got to get a guy that can kind of approximate that sort of uh, production, if you will, over the middle because it's an invaluable asset that they, they simply don't have on the roster right now without him but you add those guys back I mean there's no reason especially like I just laid out with a with a weak NFC really the only team that's gonna consistently probably challenge you is well you got the Rams out there but also you got the you got the Cowboys as well I mean those are you're you're not gonna get I don't think there's been a time in Aaron Rodgers career where he's had a more clear path to the Super Bowl than what he has right now and he's got He's 38 now. 
I mean, I've, I was discussing this earlier today with Zach. I think he's probably more athletically gifted than Tom Brady was. And Tom Brady, I mean, he's an absolute fucking insane person, but he played till he was 44, 45, well, basically 45. So, I mean, it's not inconceivable. I know, I know Rodgers has had more injuries, but given that he's more talented, I mean, it's not inconceivable to see him play into 45 as well, just just based on the strength of that arm and that big old football brain he has. So, I mean, you could see him, I could see him stay in the league for another five to seven years. I mean, it's a new era of quarterbacks to where, I mean, you could see this guy sticking around for a long time, maybe winning one, even possibly multiple Super Bowls with the Packers, which I would not want to see as a Vikings fan, but like, I, I could see it happening. I don't want it to, but I could see it happening. Um, anyways, it's, you know, it, it, good good for Rodgers. You know, good good for him. Hopefully he, he signs a contract extension soon. We'll have to have to see what the actual numbers are on that because initially with that four-year, $200 million deal, $50 million a year, not necessarily cap-friendly for the team, which, you know, drew the ire of people saying that he's selfish and all that. Interested to see what the final numbers are on that. If he's, you know, makes it a little bit of a longer deal where he stretches it out, you know, leaves some room for them to spread out some cap hit, if you will, on that one. But, uh, yeah, I mean, a whole lot of shit happening. Two crazy, crazy quarterback moves. But moving on from the quarterback moves, let's talk about a little bit of wide receiver stuff going on. Mike Williams signing a monster extension with the almost said San Diego, Los Angeles Chargers, three years, $60 million, uh, $40 million of that's guaranteed, which a little translation, two years of that are guaranteed. There's probably one voidable year at the end. Uh, just a just a quick little calculation there. But uh, yeah, big, big re-signing for, for the Chargers. Williams is a guy who is, you know, kind of flown under the radar in spite of putting up huge numbers over the past couple of years. Uh, posted career highs in targets, receptions, yards last year. Uh, in his second year with Herbert, only improved, I mean, markedly improved last year. Uh, gone over a 1,000 yards in two of the last three seasons. This is a well-earned contract extension. Um, really, he's shown to be an excellent complement to what Keenan Allen brings to the table with his uh, precision route running, all the stuff that he does over the middle and short to intermediate of the field. Uh, I know three years ago, I guess that was probably with Phillip Rivers, if I had to guess, uh, had 20 yards per reception. So he has that deep down the field capability. I know last year he had several, several deep balls when he was in the lineup that, you know, really changed the complexion of games. If they had any semblance of a defense, they would have, you know, really, really put it on some teams last year. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is great for them for not letting him get to the market because he probably could have made, I mean, I don't know how much more he could have made. I feel like 20, 20 million a year is pretty, pretty on the nose as far as his market value is concerned. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is... Serious personnel issues on defense. No one's denying that. I mean, it's basically uh, Joey Bosa, uh, Derwin James, and I think Chris Harris is on his way out the door. So you can't even say he's a part of the mix anymore. I think 
Sosa Game is okay, I think. I don't know. I've just heard his name before, so I assume he's okay. But the moral of the story is they've got, they're absolutely bereft of talent on the defensive side of the ball, but they have one of the best quarterbacks in the game right now. Definitely one of the best young quarterbacks in the game right now. So uh, I would expect uh, with a GM like Tom Telesco, probably going to hit that hard in both free agency and the draft, if I had to guess. Uh, they got a little bit of a hole to fill at tight end, but with all the all the the weapons that they have on offense, with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, uh, Austin Eckler coming out of the backfield, you can kind of you can kind of wing it around all that stuff. The defense, I mean, Derwin James and Joey Bosa need help, and Derwin James really generally needs medical help. So he's not not a guy you want to rely on to just carry your entire defense. Um, Definitely something they're going to have to address. Um, this Chargers team, the <laughs> the only real real knock against him, you could say. I mean, obviously on the defensive side, there's there's knocks to be had there, but uh, outside of that, the only real knock on them is that they play in the AFC West. You know, I mean, they might be the third best team. We just alluded to it. I just alluded to it earlier. And I mean, they could very easily get. 11, 12 wins next year if they play their cards right. I mean, this AFC West, I mean, it was one of the most entertaining divisions to watch this past season. It's going to be possibly the most, inter- well, almost certainly the most entertaining division to watch next year. Uh, it's a great time to be an AFC fan. I- I'll tell you what, I mean, it's probably probably very stressful with all these division races, but from top to bottom, I mean, I can't think of a time where one conference had so many just dudes like the AFC has right now. I mean, it, it's something to behold right now. Um, I am pretty much derailing at this point. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. The, the The Chargers are are you know should be good. They're probably going to have zero fans in the stadium unless they win a Super Bowl. Uh, the Rams still probably are going to have zero fans in the stadium. I, I don't know why teams keep choosing L.A. Anyways, I have completely derailed this point, so which means but let's move on to fucking franchise tags. Who's been franchise tagged thus far? All right, let's go down the list. We got Devontae Adams with the Packers, Dalton Schultz with the Cowboys. We got Chris Godwin with the Bucks, Cam Robinson with the Jags, Orlando Brown with the Chiefs, Jesse Bates with the Bengals, David Njoku with the Browns, Mike Isicki with the Dolphins. Um, I think that kind of rounds it out. There might be more kind of streaming in. This is, you know, I believe the deadline is actually at midnight, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. I'm getting progressively more and more tired as I go along here. But I believe most, if not all, of those guys are working on long-term deals right now. I know uh, Adam Schultz, Godwin is specifically. I don't know about Robinson. I believe Brown is working on one. Don't know about Bates. And Joku and Gesicki are, are both working on uh, deals as well. So, I mean, a lot of these guys, you're probably going to see them end up signing. The franchise tag, it, it helps teams out. I see why they have it. I think pretty much everyone realizes that it's not good business, though. If you want, If a guy wants to leave... It's, it's better to just let him leave, but also it could be better for the team to keep him around for an extra year or two just to see if you can maybe either trade him or convince him to stay or something like that. But, I mean, 
it's it's all a very fluid situation. I mean, just look at the players who didn't get tagged. J.C. Jackson definitely going to make it to the open market. He's going to command top top dollar. Definitely the top. Um, I don't know who else is on who who else is a free agent on the defensive side. But as far as corners go, I, it's hard to imagine there's going to be a better guy out there on the open market than J.C. Jackson. So you know, a lot of these cornerback needy teams. I'm looking at the the 49ers going into next year. Um, maybe, uh, the Ravens as well, you know, you never, <laughs> they'll never pass up on, on having another corner over there, but, uh, that's a guy that's going to command top dollar from someone this off season. But Harold Landry was the other big guy that wasn't tagged that you thought might be. And really just before I got onto this podcast and started recording, he just signed a massive extension, five years, 87 million to stay with the Titans. So I mean, pretty much like usual, the tag is doing <laughs> tag is doing what it's supposed to. It's it's keeping the top end talent uh, on these teams. Uh, feel bad for Chris Godwin. I think this is the second year in a row he was uh, franchise tagged. But hey, at the very least, that means he's getting lots and lots of money, lots and lots of moolah at the end of the day. So hopefully, all these guys end up getting paid in the long term. Um, yeah, I mean that's pretty much the. <laughs> Pretty much the NFL update. Wild, wild last couple of days in the NFL. Hopefully it only continues here. But over the weekend, we had something that was entertaining for just the right kind of sicko. The kind of sicko that likes to watch young men run around and comment on their their quote-unquote bubbles, a.k.a. their asses. And I'm talking about the NFL Combine. Uh, One of the world's largest and most highly publicized meat markets in the entire world, I mean, it's just just a place where people go to gawk at young men running real fast, jumping real high, just being great athletes. But uh, that's pretty much exactly what you got if you were looking at this this year's uh, combine. I mean, just speed and explosion were at an all-time high across all positions. Just going down the list, 31 players ran below a 4-4. For 31, that is a ridiculous, ridiculous number running below a 4-4. I mean, four, a 4 is elite, elite speed. Having 31 players doing that is just otherworldly. On top of that, you had 12, 12 offensive linemen running below a 5-second 40. Uh, you, you're lucky to have, I mean, a handful. I mean, you're lucky to count on one hand the amount of, Lyman under under a five second forty on a given year having twelve is just it's abnormal it's ridiculous I'm not sure it's even gonna be the norm from here on out but I mean it just speaks to how crazy the class has been overall and to top it all off you got nine different players with a forty plus inch vertical that's straight up NBA type of numbers and I mean from top to bottom I'll tell you the one constant through all of this UGA's defense featured prominently in all of those groups all of those guys being on defense holy shit that defense was stupid fast and this is all without Nicobe Dean even participating in drills it was all the other guys around him Nicobe Dean I mean if you don't know probably the best player on that that team except for maybe Jordan Davis who trust me we're gonna talk about him a little bit later but I mean, it's just another level on which you can you can just gawk at this UGA defense and just be like, like 
they were just different in ways that it's going to be difficult to describe to people going going forward. Like the amount of team speed they had. They had a legitimate NFL team. I mean, I was talking with Zach about this over the weekend. I mean, you go down the list on the defensive side of the ball. They had a guy in the top five in the 40 in pretty much every defensive position. Like I think the one exception... I mean, maybe they, they didn't have a guy at uh, at safety. Maybe they didn't have a guy at corner or something like that as well. But in the front seven, uh, defensive end, they had at least two guys, I believe, in the top five. Uh, defensive tackle, they swept the top two spots. I mean, my God, in, a, in an absolutely elite speed year for the defensive tackles, they had the top two slots at 477 and 478, uh, both of those guys being mammoth enormous human beings um those are just uh, that's just scratching the tip of the iceberg this uga defense from top to bottom had so 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 much speed um really just 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 impressive we'll get into that a little bit more later another team that i think really earned a lot of respect from the uh the athletic nerds like me i guess baylor they had a damn Damn impressive group of, of skill players coming to this draft. Specifically, three guys I'm looking at. Tyquan Thornton, Kalen Barnes, and JT Woods. Starting with Thornton, fastest wide receiver in the whole class at 4-2-8. Um, you know, I, I, I hesitate to say it, it was on the slower side for wide receivers this year, but I would say that they weren't the, uh, the highlight of the speed, if you will. I think there was a lot of janky hand times initially. Like, I think Olave got clocked at uh, a 4-2-6 initially, uh, got corrected down to a 4-3-9 eventually. The, I guess they got a new hand timer in there this year, and it was all sorts of chaos. But those initial numbers were all sorts of janky. Uh, Tyquan Thornton, uh, a guy that I didn't really hear a whole lot coming into the draft, but running, running a 4-2-8, being a fast-ass wide receiver like that, you're going to get at least a look maybe at the end of the first round uh, maybe in the the high high mid rounds, like second through fourth rounds, maybe you'll see him pop up. Uh, Kalen Barnes, I mean both the, both these guys, Tyquan Thornton, Kalen Barnes, literally did not do a single thing other than uh, run the forty. I believe they're just like you know why I'm here. I'm fast as fuck. I'm gonna show you, and then I'm gonna sit down. That's that's all I'm doing. But he came up just short. And I mean just like a nut hair short of taking John Ross's title for fastest man in the history of the combine, let alone the corners in the draft. I mean, he smoked the rest of the corners in the draft. I mean, by smoked, I think he beat him by three, four hundredths of a second. So, I mean, it was, it was close, but in, in sprinter terms, that's that's a bit of a smoking right now, right there. He's, he's even kind of going to be, uh, he's projected to be a, a rotational type of player, Maybe he'll return kicks if he's got some some quickness, a little bit of a screw or two loose in there to kind of uh, get that return spirit going. But uh, absolutely just a, a crazy fast guy. And then you got JT Woods, who had the third fastest 40 time and highest vert among the safety class. I mean, just from top to bottom, for a team within Baylor who doesn't really have a natural recruiting advantage, they are really... I don't know about the, the recent standings, but traditionally they're behind both A&M and Texas in the uh, the pecking order within state. And I mean, maybe they're third. 
Uh, I think Houston kind of takes a lot of their recruits as well in there. So, I mean, credit to uh, credit to Dave Aranda for bringing in a lot of just athletic specimens. I, I don't know if Matt Rule can get any of this credit. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how many of these guys he uh, he recruited into the program. But I mean, shouts out to the Baylor Bears really showing out and showing up in a way that, you know, a lot of a lot of programs really just don't. And I mean, I'm going to circle back to the, the lineman for a second. Alex, Alex Cross? I don't know. Cross, the, the offensive lineman from Mississippi State, a guy who has been, who was highly touted coming into the year. Uh, he got absolutely buried in the 40 times. I think he ended up coming in like 10th and he ran below a five second 40. He had an absolutely fantastic combine, but he got buried in the results because the athletic, the, the athletic level is just over the top this year. I mean, the, the quarterbacks, not the greatest year. Again, that's that's another thing we'll get to a little bit later on. But just top to bottom, the athleticism in this draft, it's something that I, it's set in the new bar. I can't remember ever seeing a draft like this in my lifetime, and I hope it just continues to go like this. But anyways, with all of that said, on to the main event of the Combine coverage, I think in honor of Al Davis, a guy that really, I think, followed the combine more than just about any other owner in the league, a guy that just looked at an athlete and just said, I want that guy. He runs fast. He jumps high. He's huge. I want that guy on my team. I don't give a fuck whether he's good, whether he's going to be a good player or not. I mean, just look at Terrell Pryor. They drafted him in the second round and said, I don't know what I'm going to do with this, but I'm going to do something nice. Same thing with Darius Hayward Bay. In honor of that absolute, the late great G, a legend among Gs, a guy that literally stole the the Oakland Raiders, or I guess they were the LA Raiders at that point as well, out from under the previous ownership by uh, basically holding an impromptu vote while he was out of town. Uh, That guy, in honor of him, I've put together a little list of guys that would make him just harder than a diamond in an ice storm, i.e. the biggest freak athletes that I saw coming out of the combine just based on their measurables. And first off, on the all-Al Davis team, we have got, I mean, inarguably the best name in the draft, Sauce Gardner. I mean, absolutely has got the sauce. 6'3", 190 pounds, ran a 4'4", 140. Um, like I said, best name in the draft. Got an athletic profile that is just bananas. But that 6'3 frame, being 6'3 and running a 4'4", absolutely insane. I mean, when you're that tall as a corner, you expect them to run closer to 4'5". You, you know, you sacrifice a little bit of speed and quickness for uh, the size at that point. You expect them to run a little bit more... Uh, physical than a lot of corners but with sauce Gardner being running a 441 having the uh the capability to be both physical and run with guys I mean he showed that at the college level too I mean this is a guy projection the scouts got him as a day one starter I got him as a day one starter if for no other reason then we need a guy named sauce in the league and uh yeah I think sauce Gardner already one of my favorite already one of my favorite players. I mean, when you got a name like Sauce, I don't 
I'm getting lost in the sauce right now just thinking about it. That's all I got to say. Anyways, moving on to the next member of the illustrious All-Al Davis team. We have got cornerback from... Probably should have put in the uh, the colleges here. I believe this is UTSA, though. Tariq Woolen. And if you thought Sauce Gardner had some ridiculous measurables, get a load of this shit right here. I mean, listen to this bullshit. 6'4", 205 pounds. His 40 time was 4-2-6. I say that again. A 6'4", 205-pound corner who ran a 4 2 6 and had a vertical of 42 inches, which was tied for the highest in the combine. I mean, just an absolute specimen. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say, if we're going to include Sauce Gardner for being freakishly tall and freakishly fast for a corner, how am I going to leave the guy off the list who is both bigger and faster than Sauce Gardner? Tariq Woolen, I mean, I, I included him early on the list because he is a corner you expect him to be an incredible athlete, but I mean, this is an impressive, like even if he were coming out as a receiver, these measurables are absolutely ridiculous for a receiver, let alone for a corner. And corners are like, corners are like the cream of the crop as well athletically. I mean, they got to keep up with the receivers, but I mean, this is a guy that I think projections have him you know, as a high-end backup, but with the, the athletic measurables he's got. I mean, you can't teach 6'4", 205, 42-inch vertical. I mean, this is a guy, if there was ever a guy in this class that Al Davis would look at and say, that's a guy I want right now, Tariq Woolen is a guy that, that he would want right this second. He wouldn't even think about it. He would see 6'4", 205, runs a 4'2", and be like, how can I draft this guy in the first round right this second? Put him in the right coaching staff. Sky is the limit. I mean, I would I would look at him to go to really just the place that he can just be an absolute athletic animal. I mean, I look at uh, really zone schemes. Like I think think the uh, the 49ers run a pretty pretty zone consistent scheme. Um, I think Wink Martindale is actually out of town now with the Ravens. I believe he went over to the Giants. I could be could be wrong on that front, but uh, the Ravens tend to historically run more of a, a zone-oriented scheme. So really just a guy where, really just a system where Tariq Woolen can go in and just be a freak of nature like he is. Hell, I think he can be an absolute maven on special teams pretty much immediately with that 6-4 uh, frame. I mean, you basically just have to be a freak athlete to do special, well, be a freak athlete and be kind of, kind of fucked up in the head to do special teams. So, I mean, I, I I love freak athlete just as much as anyone else. I am really looking forward to seeing what Tariq Woolen does at the next level. But next member of the all Al Davis team on this list, uh, the first um, difficult to pronounce name on this list, Chig Okonkwo. I hope I didn't completely destroy that name, but at a 6'2 2 238 pounds, uh, ran a 4.52, which is first among tight ends, 35 inch vert, which is second among tight ends. Look, is he a real tight end? Nah, not not really at all. I mean, 6'2, if we're looking eye to eye, you are not a real tight end. I mean, I know 6'2 is 
It's pretty tall, but it's not tight end tall. It's like a receiver tall. And, you know, he's not a real tight end. I understand. But at 4'5", jumping 35.5-inch vert, he's really running more of that Taysom Hill style H-back type of role, which if there's anything we've learned from that style of, of tight end H-back, you can do a lot of stuff with him if you have the right offensive guy in place. I mean, so if he goes to a scheme like, I don't know, like like Shanahan, McVay, LaFleur, guys that'll know how to use athletes and just basically create plays where it's just an athlete on an athlete in space, kind of get a matchup there. So, I mean, he doesn't have to do any blocking or anything like that. I think you can see Oconquo really coming in and contribute immediately, regardless of, of what the projection may be that he's a bottom of the roster player. But I mean, he's not a real tight end, but some offensive coach is going to look at this guy and say, blocking be damned. I can do something with this because he's a complete freak of nature. And for that reason, he is firmly on the all Al Davis team coming out of this draft. But moving on to the next member of the illustrious All-Al Davis team of 2022. We have got safety JT Woods out of Baylor. We talked about him earlier. Absolute stud. Also, Chiga Conquo. Shout out Maryland. My sister went there. Uh, you know, got some got some family and friends up in that area still. So, yeah. Shout out Dirty Terps. You are uh, still not great at football, but, you know, got, got Talia Tagovailoa, got Chiga Conquo, you know, Things are looking up. Anyways, moving on to uh, safety. JT Woods talked about it from Baylor. 6'2", 195. 40 was 436, which was third fastest among the safeties. Just short of a 40-inch vertical with 39.5 inches, which was highest among the safeties. Really? I mean, none of his individual numbers kind of jump off the page. I think it's all kind of like uh, what you would expect as as far as a, a solid, very good athlete at the safety position. But when you combine all those attributes together, I mean, the the size at safety, the speed, the vert, all those together. I mean, four, a 4.340 plus a 40-inch vert, that'll get you a whole lot of jobs. Uh, his projection is an average backup. I could probably see that. I mean, I think at the very least, that's a he's got a very high floor if nothing else, but this is a guy just based on the well-roundedness of his athletic build. I think he deserved to be on this list. Uh, this is, I believe, the last of the players that are not on the Georgia defense, which <laughs> kind of speaks to how ridiculous that team was. But moving on to the Georgia block of this segment, we have got Trayvon Walker. And let me just Go down the list because the numbers are fairly self-explanatory for themselves. We have got a guy, a defensive end, a Georgia defensive end from last year. I believe a starter could be wrong. I mean, there's just so many future pro bowlers, it's hard to count. But 6'5", 272 pounds, ran a 4'5", which the fact that a 4'5", is third among the defensive ends. I mean, what the hell is going on at the end of the day? But being... 270 pounds and running a 4-5, I mean, you're an automatic shoe-in for this list. I mean, that's a guy that you got running back or linebacker speed, basically, in a lineman's body. I mean, he gets closer to 300 pounds. He's going to be an absolute 
problem. And I mean, that's pretty much shown in his projections. He's projected to be an eventual starter, eventual plus starter. So, you know, projected Pro Bowl essentially is what the code, code is there. Uh, one of many that came from this, this UGA defense. But uh, speaking of which, linebacker Channing Tindall is the next one on the all Al Davis team. Uh, Tindall was a 6'2", 230-pound linebacker who ran a 4-4-7-40, which was third among linebackers, running below 4-5 at 230. I mean, it's fine. And a, a vertical of 42 inches, which was, I mean, this is the most ridiculous part. That 42 inches tied for highest at the combine as a linebacker, as a six foot two, 230-pound man, tying for the lead in the vertical leap. Just unreal. I mean, I almost didn't include Tyndall on the list until I saw he was tied for the overall lead as a linebacker and ran a sub 4-5-40. I mean, just another animal from that UGA defense. Also, a quick reminder, Nicobe Dean did not run in this year's uh, combine, which there's... There's every possibility that he could have run just as fast as Channing Tindall. He was the best player on that Georgia defense this year. Didn't even get to run, so he didn't even get the opportunity to make this this all-Al Davis team, if you will. But the crowning jewel of the team, the guy that I think we can all agree was the runaway star of the combine, Jordan Davis. Saving the best for last here. This guy was a freak, dude. Just going down the list here. 6'6", 341. 341. That is a nose guard right there. You don't expect that guy to be getting off the ground, right? Well, let's, let's see what happens here. 40... He ran a 4.78. At 3.40 pounds, you were running a 4.78.40. That alone is the most ridiculous shit I have heard in my entire life. That is horrifying. A 4.78.40 is faster than... I mean, we were freaking out about Don Terry Poe hitting a 4.9 two years ago. That is a full two-tenths of a second slower than what we're seeing here at basically... Well, even bigger, essentially... I mean, still 340, but even taller. I mean, unreal. And that's not even to go with the vert he got at 32 inches. I believe that's that's more than what I have. I mean, at 340 pounds, to be jumping higher than me at 220 pounds makes me feel pretty bad about me. Still, second among defensive tackles, pretty horrifying. Which also, by the way, talking fast as fuck now, going to move back a little bit to the 40. Uh, he was second among defensive tackles. You know who the first one was among defensive tackles? His teammate. Don't remember his name, but a teammate who was also above 300 pounds ran a 4.77 to uh, lead all defensive tackles. Uh, just a just a reminder: all of these guys were on the same team. <laughs> just ridiculous. But he had a 32-inch vert. Really, possibly the most ridiculous uh, aspect of of his results from the combine. He got a 10.3 broad jump, which I mean, I don't have a whole lot of context as to, like, what a good broad jump is historically. I know just basically, based on his competition around him, though, this was a ridiculous mark. First off, he finished almost an entire foot farther than the next best defensive lineman. Uh, I think the next best was uh, 9'4". 
uh, broad jump by the next best defensive tackle. Um, to give you a little context of how ridiculous a 10-3 broad jump is for a 341-pound man, he his broad jump was tied with uh, Ohio State wide receiver Garrett Wilson and was actually an inch farther than Arkansas, Arkansas wide receiver Traylon Burks. Both of those guys might end up being first-round picks. I mean, from top to bottom, like I said, I saved the best for last. Jordan Davis is unequivocally a freak of nature. To be as large as he is, to be as quick and as fast as he is, uh, I'm not sure the league has ever seen anyone like him. The only one that I can even remotely compare him to is Haloti Nada back in the day. And even Haloti Nada, I think, even moved slower. I mean, this is a guy that we're looking at quite possibly a generational type of talent in the middle here. I mean, there was a lot of questions as to his his wind, I guess. And I mean, a lot of those questions were, were coming from me specifically. I mean, that's not, not going away. I think he is kind of overweight. He can probably... He can probably stand to lose a few pounds from that 340, probably get down to 330 or something more manageable along those lines. But, uh, yeah, I think at the very least, he's going to be a good player. I think if he's not an absolute star in the NFL, I would be shocked. I'm just excited to see where he goes, how high he goes. I mean, with the with the offensive line needs at the top of the draft, he might actually drop to someone who could, you know, really, really use him. I mean, maybe the Vikings. We need some we need some defensive tackles. I mean, wouldn't that be a fucking dream? But uh, anyways, that that'll do it for the all Al Davis team. Just going down the list here of all the guys we've got. Sauce getting lost in the sauce. Gardner, cornerback out of Cincinnati. Quarterback Tar Tariq Woolen. Jesus, it's hard for me to say for some fucking reason. Tariq Woolen out of UTSA, cornerback. You got tight end Chigo Conquo out of University of Maryland. Safety, JT Woods out of Baylor. Defensive end, Trayvon Walker out of UGA. Linebacker, Channing Tindall out of UGA. And defensive tackle, Jordan Davis out of the University of Georgia. That is your 2022 All Al Davis team. Congratulations, boys. Al Davis would be jerking off at night to thoughts of you running 40s, doing broad jumps, just doing all sorts of athletic things in addition to playing some football. So I thank you for just being absolute athletes. Cannot wait to see you guys at your pro days, at the combine. Well, this was the combine, at the draft, and so on and so forth. Anywho, moving on from that, I think I probably should have put these guys at the beginning here. But uh, quick stop off on the QBs for once in the past couple of years. QBs are kind of an afterthought here, just kind of going on the list. Um, didn't put a whole lot of notes here, to be quite frank. But um, Kenny Pickett, I think he was the one guy in of the, of the QBs that showed up, of the top three guys, uh, Pickett, Willis, and Ritter that showed up, that uh, maybe hurt his stock. I mean, I guess he had those eight-and-a-half-inch hands that got measured, which, I mean... He, he wears the two gloves for a reason. He knows he's got smaller hands. He played in Pittsburgh already. I mean, I know he had some fumble issues, but I mean, he's, I feel like he's going to figure it out on that front. Also ran a four seven forty though, which, you know, as a, as a running type of quarterback, 
if you're running about the same 40 as, say, Jordan Davis, probably not the uh, the greatest look in the world. We'll have to see if he can improve on that in his uh, in his pro day uh, at Pitt, whenever that ends up being. I guess I'm probably some point in March. I mean, you'd think it'd have to be, given that the, the, the draft is in May. But uh, Kenny Pickett may have been the only one here that hurt his draft stock. Malik Willis, I mean... Definitely a project by all accounts, uh, but he can absolutely sling the pill, throws a just a dynamite, sexy, fuckable spiral. Um, didn't really watch a whole lot of the throwing drills because, I mean, it's just a whole waste of time. You're throwing on air, uh, not at all simulating any sort of game reps at all. So not a whole lot to say there, but, I mean, he got Malik Willis got a whole lot of traction for, um, I guess, I as, as an athlete at the combine, you get a whole lot of free clothes and stuff, and he just, you know, gave a, gave a good bit of his free clothes to a homeless guy outside of a bar or something like that across from uh, the stadium in Indianapolis. So, I mean, he's getting a lot of a lot of good guy points there. Uh, good good Christian boy went to Liberty. Um, I think you know very very big in the very big in the faith there. So that might appeal to some guys like uh, like Frank Reich. You know some of the more religious guys. I mean. We'll have to see if uh, old Jack Easterby takes a swing at him down in down in Houston because he's a he's a real godly man. I mean, if Malik Willis if Malik Willis comes in the building, I can almost guarantee that Jack Jack Easterby is going to be trying to trade up to get this guy. I mean, a Liberty quarterback, especially a black quarterback, in the situation that he finds himself in in the, uh, the, cross, the, the crosshairs of racial sensitivity. Uh, yeah, Malik, Willi- Malik Willis might be an attractive option on all fronts there down in Houston. I love uh, the guy they got in place down there, old Longneck, whose name escapes me, uh, former Stanford quarterback. Uh, I'm sure it'll come to me at some point. But, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they got Malik Willis either. Uh, he's a guy that really, he's a project, but an incredible athlete, so... I wouldn't be I wouldn't be shocked if, if Willis went ahead of him. I'll, I'll say that much. And the guy that I think came out better than just about anyone this weekend, Desmond Ritter, and I hand up here. I'm I think he's changing my mind. I mean, really, it's hard to say. I might be an idiot for saying this after the combine, but all I've heard this week, or really from this weekend, was that Desmond Ritter was the most polished pro ready type of quarterback and in addition to that ran a 4-5-40 um throws a really tight spiral has good accuracy we'll have to see what the decision making is I feel like at Cincinnati he had it kind of dumbed down for him to a certain extent playing underneath of a uh, a defensive coach in Fickle but I think through the interview process through running that 4-5-40 I think Desmond Ritter only helped himself. I think he pretty much cemented himself as a uh, first-round pick, probably a mid-first-round pick, maybe even an early first-round pick. I honestly wouldn't be shocked if he ended up going first. Any one of these three guys, Pickett, Willis, or Ritter, could be the first QB off the board. And also, possibly none of them could go in, in the top 10. I mean, it's just not a year to be looking for a new QB, especially with Willis being... I mean, unabashedly a, a project type of QB, just uh, a guy that you, you draft based on potential, I guess you could say. But yeah, I mean, at, coming out of this, 
the one QB I would say that fared better than everyone else that kind of elevated himself in my eyes was Ritter. I still love Kenny Pickett. I think if Pittsburgh has a chance to get him for their QB, I think they should take him. No questions asked every single time. But uh, Desmond Ritter, I think, is a guy that is going to shoot up draft boards from this whole experience. I don't think teams thought he... I thought he... Sorry. I think teams thought that he was a fast QB. I don't think they thought he was 4-5 type of fast. And I think this will open open teams' eyes up to maybe drafting him a little bit higher than they would hit, would have given his... Uh, his college production at times, but uh, that's pretty much all I have on the uh, the NFL and the NFL Combine. Just a jam packed fucking week over there. Um, really looking forward to the draft this year. Just the the positions, position, position players, top to bottom, outside of the quarterbacks, are just more loaded than I can ever remember them being. I cannot wait to see who my Vikings get. Hopefully a guy like uh, Derek Stingley or some ridiculous athlete drops down to us. That's really all I can ask for. But with that said, if we're going to we're going to wind down a little bit, get towards the end here. I did kind of want to stop off because ah, it's this is a story that just fascinates me. I didn't I don't really know anything about soccer, but just the geopolitics surrounding this story fascinate me. Uh, Roman Abramovich, the uh, owner of Chelsea, will sell in light of uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, the club has been valued at roughly $4 billion. The actual selling price is going to be telling. Uh, the lower it goes, the more desperate you can tell Abramovich is to just liquidate his holdings. And uh, really just a little bit of background on the guy. Abramovich is a Russian billionaire who reportedly, I mean, he's denied connections to Putin to the Putin regime. But let's just go through this. You have to think we're all idiots to believe you can be a Russian citizen, make several billion dollars, and have zero ties to a regime that is entirely sustained by the support of billionaires, other oligarchs. I mean, you're not fooling anyone, Abramovich. If for no other reason than the fact that a rogue, unknown billionaire is a threat to Putin's power... You have brushed shoulders with the guys with the guy before at some point. Either he's keeping tabs on you, or you have an active relationship with him. Um, I'm honestly surprised that the UK is just kind of letting him off the hook here. Um, I feel like with all of his connections, well, there's no concrete connections. I understand that there's you know it's hard to prove or stick anything to him that you can give sanctions over and freeze his assets, but at the same time. I mean, you're letting this guy liquidate a three, four billion dollar asset, get straight cash right away, cash that you can easily repatriate to Russia in order to sustain a regime that's currently uh, invading a democratically elected government for his own personal gain. So, I, I don't know, I don't know, man. This this just does not seem to be a uh, seem to be a good look for the UK. Uh, from Abramovich's perspective, though, this seems like the ideal time to stage left. Uh, the longer he waits to sell the team, the more likely it is that he is not allowed to sell. I mean, any day now, the UK could decide they're just gonna they're just gonna keep Abramovich from selling. They're gonna freeze his assets and then just leave it there until all this shit gets figured out. Because if he sells the team, he can use those profits to make a comfortable life for himself back in Russia by supporting the incumbent regime, which is exactly what the West doesn't want. 
bottom line is that we can we can say all we want in the EU, UK, the United States. We can say all we want about the goal of these sanctions. The bottom line is the sanctions are here to incentivize the Russian oligarchs to oust Putin and Lavrov. That simple. I mean, they've said that before. We've denied we've denied that purpose, but that's cut and dry what's happening right now. And allowing Abramovich to just kind of go ahead and liquidate, maybe maybe support the regime a little bit more. I I know it's hard to pin him with anything, but it's it it it's tough. It, it, it's a tough look right now, especially like it's a clear indication right now with him selling that he's just trying to get the hell out of Dodge and go back to Russia. I mean, according to the Mirror uh, UK newspaper, which I mean, you know, it's one of it's 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 a bit more a uh, bit more close to the situation than you or probably anyone listening right now. But uh, he's already selling his home in England. He's selling one of his flats as well. So he's really just trying to liquidate as much stuff as possible because, I mean, if you've been following the news recently, oligarchs have been getting their shit seized left and right. I mean, Italy has been doing the most to anybody just seizing yachts and houses and all all this shit that, that billionaires could sell in order to support the current regime. Um, I Like I said, I, I understand that they need a high burden of proof, as uh, Boris Johnson said. Um, they probably aren't going to pull the trigger until they've got this guy dead to rights. Uh, that being said, I think that's a mistake. I think by the time you've got all the concrete evidence you need to sanction this guy, it's not going to matter because all of his shit is going to be back in Russia and he's going to be living in the lap of luxury life like he was before. Um, I know they haven't ruled out ruled out sanctions, but they simply, they, they simply don't have time to, to do all of this. So, I mean, I would, I'm, I'm very interested in this entire story, all the, all the backdrop around it, all of the, the geopolitics. I'll be interested to see if the team ends up selling, how much it sells for. I'm honestly, I would not be shocked if they, this team ended up selling for closer to 3 billion rather than the $4 billion valuation. There's a lot of bidders but like I said before, Abramovich is trying to get out of this as fast as possible before the UK the UK the UK brings down sanctions on them, um, because the UK is going to bring down sanctions on him eventually. I mean, maybe going to is is a little bit aggressive, but I would say it's a better than fifty percent chance that Abramovich is going to be sanctioned, given his wealth and status and his you know citizenship as a Russian, even though he is denied all, all, um, affiliation with the Putin regime. So, uh, yeah, interested to see how that goes. Um, yeah, I think that's a, that's about all I have on that front. Moving on before we head out the door here, gambling picks. Uh, overall, we have got three, two, and one winners, baby. We've got three, two, and one. That's the record. I bad fucking joke. Anyways, Got a winning record, just barely. You know, it's 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 a winning record of nothing else. Uh, also, definitely said last week that St. John's won the Big Eats this year, which uh, not true, not true at all. Not even a tournament team <laughs> at all. Uh, but hey, the the bet won, so who cares? Who cares? Anyways, with that said, uh, just letting you know how much of a fucking idiot I am. Getting into this week's gambling picks. Uh, all NBA this time. Um, don't know 
goddamn shit about college basketball. Just watch Gonzaga win against St. Mary's, which it's 11 at night. It's fucking late. I need to go to bed at some point anyways. Whatever. I lost my train of thought. Gambling picks. First pick, we got over 226.5 points. Uh, Also, this is Wednesday night for the Celtics at Hornets game. Two offensive teams just like... This this just seems like a a, a low number. It's basically 113 apiece. It'd be 114 to 113 the final score to get a uh, over on this number. And think about it. Jason Tatum... Lamella Ball, uh, Bridges, uh, Scary Terry. I mean, it 226. I'm, I'm, I'd be thinking more for this matchup. It'd be closer to 240. So 226. I'm hammering the over on that one. Uh, moving on to my next pick. Got the Wizards plus four and a half at the Clippers. Uh, kind of a bold pick on this one. Both these teams fucking stink. I mean, maybe the Clippers don't fucking stink. They just stink. But uh, both these teams stink at the end of the day. That being said, the poor Zingad, in his de- in his debut with the the Wizards, ended up balling out. I think he ended up uh, getting like 25, 27 points, on like eleven shots or something like that. I don't know if the book has actually caught up to him yet, though. So I think that four and a half not count taken into account the reemergence of the poor Zingad on offense. So I got the Wizards. Plus four and a half. Maybe we can catch the, the book sleeping a little bit here. Uh, and my last pick of the week, third and final gambling pick. We have got the play, the Trailblazers plus 17 and a half at the Jazz. Um, that's a lot of fucking points, dog. That's that's my only reasoning, to be quite honest with you. Um, yeah, I mean, the Trailblazers stink. Uh, all they've got is Dame and no one else. The Jazz are pretty good, but 17.5 is a whole, whole lot of points. Whole, whole lot of points, and these are professional teams. So, I mean, just, I'm, I'm comfortable betting with a shitty team when I got 17.5 points on my side. So, I'm, I'm willing to take the risk here just because, I mean, it's 17.5 is just simply too many points. So, to sum it all up, we have got... Over 226.5 for the Celtics at Hornets game. Uh, plus 4.5 for the Wizards at the Clippers. Easy for me to say. And then plus 17.5 for the Trailblazers at the Jazz tomorrow. Let's make some fucking money. Hopefully this one hits the trifecta three-team parlay so we can get an even better winning record. I can pub this gambling record a little bit more. And maybe we can grow this a little bit. And speaking on those lines, I am looking at Once again, Bryant and Wagner brawling. I mean, just wonderful college atmospheres. White people flipping off white people, punching each other in the face, being petty as hell. But with that said, that is all for this episode. If you enjoyed, subscribe, leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy a little bit. Uh, If you didn't enjoy, which I mean, I can't blame you if you didn't. It was a little bit of an an ad hoc situation here. Uh, Just keep her moving, my guy and or girl. But like, I mean, tell people it was good anyways, you know? Just a little bit of little, little bit of misdirection. Trick them into trick them into sending them to your boy's way. You know? Easy, easy selling point for me, anyways. Uh, episodes are released every Wednesday, once a week through the offseason. Uh, I'll be back to twice a week uploads when football is back in swing this fall, I guess, you know. August, September, whenever the hell that is. I don't know. 
the, the, the weeks just kind of blurred together at this point. It'll be back before I know it, I'm guessing. Anyways, follow me on all my socials at Caleb Verzak. Uh, link will be in the description so you don't got to spell my fucked up uh, Eastern Bloc name. Uh, go Ukraine. Fuck Vladimir Putin. Uh, if you want to contact the show, shoot me an email at unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. That's unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. Just put in all caps, business or show in the uh, first word of your subject line so you can be categorized accordingly. And uh, that's it. Thank you all for tuning into Unqualified Analysis. And as always, I've got zero clue what I'm talking about, and I'm going to be up until tomorrow. See you guys. <laughs>